PM board bombs. Welcome back to another EM Board Bombs podcast. I'm your host, Blake Briggs, co-founder, co-host, as I like to often tell people. And welcome back. We got another exciting episode for you today. EM Board Bombs is the stuff of legends. We cover board-relevant and life-relevant content for emergency medicine, all in less than 15 minutes, typically. It's only about 20 minutes, usually when we just ramble, so 15 minutes or less. And we cover board-relevant pearls, what you need to know for life in emergency medicine, as well as the boards. Really exciting episode for you today. Awesome, short episode with a pearl. You know, Dr. Hussein will not be joining us, though. I'm sorry to say. Dr. Hussein is currently working on his camping gear, essentially. As you all know, I've gotten Dultafot into the world of backpacking and hiking and camping, and it's pretty incredible to see his progression. Unfortunately, he's been bitten by the bug, and now he's totally all in when it comes to ultralight gear. In fact, it's spilled over into his professional life. Now he is doing ultralight gear in emergency medicine. His scrubs are apparently now carbon fiber laced. Uh, His shoes are carbon fiber laced. It's everything. It's just crazy amount of gear that he's using now that is ultra light at work. He said that he can weigh all his gear holding his index finger. Pretty incredible stuff. (laughs) So anyway, as usual, Iltafat going above and beyond the call of duty to (laughs) go all in to a hobby. We all know someone like that, right? All right, let's delve into this awesome question here. Good learning pearls all around. We have a 27-year-old Hispanic male brought in by family after a potential seizure at home. He doesn't have a history of seizures. Now, the family states that the patient has had a gradual onset of this guy's headache for about two days with pain located on the left side of the head, radiates occasionally. The patient denies any vision changes, denies any fevers or vomiting, or any prior history of typical headaches. Now, he has lived in the United States for years now, and he has not traveled out of the country recently. A head CT is performed, and it shows a cystic mass in the third ventricle with an enhancing central nodule causing obstructive hydrocephalus. Which of the following is the most important initial treatment below? Choice A, ceftriaxone and metronidazole. Choice B, albendazole. Choice C, dexamethasone. Choice D, doxycycline. answer here is going to be choice C, dexamethasone. Hey, we're talking about a really interesting topic today with good differentials. I really like this episode because it frames a rare condition, but it makes you think about other crazy, scary things that can go on in the brain and cause seizures in this type of presentation. This patient in particular has neurocystocercosis, which is a really scary nightmarish condition caused by a parasite. For those of you people listening out here, um, you may want to refrain from eating pork for the next like year. <laughs> After listening to this episode. So neurocystopsychosis is caused by the larval stage of the tapeworm, tinea solium. Now, the clinical syndrome most popular here, there's, there's other things that tinea solium can cause. You know, it can cause extra cranial cystopsychosis. But the most important one we're concentrating on today is neurocystopsychosis. 
which is actually a mouthful when you say it more and more. This is my first time saying it out loud. When I'm prepping for this podcast and I'm like looking up some information, you're like not saying it until the podcast episode actually happens. And you're like, oh, wow, that's actually kind of a <laughs> difficult word. So anyway, in endemic areas, neurosystercosis is an important cause of adult onset seizures. In fact, it might be the most common cause of seizures in certain countries in the world, which is insane to think about. It's endemic in many regions of Central and South America, Sub-Saharan Africa, India, and Asia. Now, surprise, surprise, the data on this disease is limited. Go figure. But in endemic villages, I'm literally quoting that, villages, that's where some of these studies come from, approximately 10 to 20% of people have evidence of neurocystercosis on CT scans. And it's going to be usually like calcified lesions in their brain. Now, in countries where cystercercosis is endemic, the prevalence is going to be a lot higher in rural or suburban areas. And this is because that's where pigs are raised. So this is where it comes from. Tinea solium is going to be found in pork. And where pigs are raised and the sanitary conditions are suboptimal, there's that crossover where people can get infected with Tinea solium. Now, in those communities where cystercercosis is endemic, the rate of epilepsy approaches like 3% in the population there, with 30% of those cases having evidence of cystercercosis. That's insane. <laughs> That's such a high number. So think about this disease. Think about the endemic areas. You're probably wondering, well, I don't live in those areas. What's there to worry about? Well, of course, with globalization, movement of populations, this is something you need to think about in patients, even if they haven't traveled recently. If you're from those areas and you come to the United States or come to a developed quote-unquote country, you have a risk of having this condition and acquiring it even years before arriving. Neurosystercercosis is the most common form of cystercercosis. That word is getting increasingly hard and hard to say. Now, it occurs in greater than 60% of cases. The onset is going to be basically three to five years following infection, but it can occur greater than 30 years following infection. It's basically, if you're from this area the rest of your life, you got to worry about it, right? Anyway, all right, so before we get to the most common symptoms and the treatment choices here and the differential, let's talk about EM rapid bombs. Hey, it's board season. It's holiday season for Iltfani, essentially, and Marlena. We're talking about EM rapid bombs, which is our only question bank podcast in the entire world. Now, the EM question bank podcast we have is one of a kind. When you listen to it, you're getting four minutes or so or less of board-relevant knowledge and for life we coach you through the question, we tell you what's gonna be on the test, we tell you how they're gonna ask that question, no one else is doing that, and we tell you, of course, the answer choices, why they're wrong, etc. We also delineate when something is right on the boards but wrong in real life and vice versa. We tell you the difference, so we're making it worth your while in the maximum way possible. For just two to four minutes a day, you're getting that daily drip learning, meaning that you're not cramming for the test these next two months. I mean, you can do that if you want to, but even after the test, our retention rate is greater than 90%. It's insane. People that have taken their boards two years ago are still subscribing to our Question Bank podcast yearly. And that's because they understand that they're getting that general knowledge that you're just not getting. It's not, you know, a chore to study anymore. Go walk the dog, listen to a couple episodes. Go for a run, listen to a couple episodes. Plane ride, a couple episodes. Thanksgiving with in-laws, listen to a few episodes. Just had that one AirPod dangling in. <laughs> Just don't turn your head a direction and they can't see it. Prop your hand up against the table hiding that AirPod. You can get that great information here as the holidays are coming up. So EM Rapid Bombs, you can find us at emrapidbombs.supercast.com. 
or you can just go to our main website, click on the link, go there, check it out. Okay, so what are the most common symptoms here? Well, just like the question framed it, seizures, seizures, and more seizures. Seizures are the most common. In many endemic countries, adult onset seizures is going to be your only indication because everything else is unreliable. Don't look for fever. It's typically absent. Don't look for nausea or vomiting, typically absent. And the headache is so abstract and gradual, you're not looking for anything special like a thunderclap headache, obviously. So the less common manifestations are going to be these things, altered vision, any focal neurologic signs, and of course, signs of meningitis. All that stuff is so rare, I wouldn't even associate it with this condition, meaning that you got gradual onset headaches and seizures. Two of the scariest things together should prompt you to get neuroimaging. Unless there's some large mass in a certain area of the brain, you're not going to get, you know, mass effect findings like, you know, focal neurologic signs. So that's why the weird kind of gradual abstract headaches with any history of seizures, that should prompt you to get a head CT. Really, and that's not that difficult to think about, right? If we're thinking about patients we want to work up and they come to the ED and they have a quote unquote seizure witnessed by family member and they have a headache when they come in, we always get a head CT. Let's be real, especially if it's a first time seizure, they never had it before and they're an adult. All of us here would think about getting a head CT, right? So it's not like this is a very difficult conversation to have, especially in a potentially high-risk patient, a patient from an endemic area where we're worried about other complications or other issues. Now, CT, of course, is that primary first test of choice. You're going to get non-con, and you can get some labs and such, but they're not going to be helpful here. I feel like I'm a broken record when I talk about labs, but labs in general just are not going to help you with this condition. Now, the radiographic findings include some type of cystic lesion, any type of ring-enhancing lesion, calcifications in that area. That's it. You can have obstructing signs as well that the mass could be at a certain spot in the brain that's causing an obstructing you know, hydrocephalus or a mass effect in a certain area, cerebral edema, etc. So what is your differential? This is so critical because it has to do with our answer choices, and it has to do with the more likely things, right? You know, neurocystic sarcosis is not the most common cause of a brain mass in the United States, of course. You need to think about other things. So, of course, other conditions that mimic single or multiple ring or nodular lesions include a tuberculoma. Hey, that's something high risk from these patients, right? The same type of patients, the same type of area I just mentioned, right? Endemic areas in Central South America, Sub-Saharan Africa, India, Asia. We still think about tuberculosis, right? And in fact, we had a whole series of episodes that I did on tuberculosis, everything you need to know about tuberculosis for the boards and for life. There was like three or four episodes, I think, I did uh, several episodes back a few months ago. Again, that's the advantage of EM Rapid Bombs. Check out EM Rapid Bombs. You can subscribe and you get all that information about tuberculosis. We're not going to cover that here. But a tuberculoma in the brain can cause similar symptoms, seizures and random headaches. Of course, a pyogenic brain abscess, I think most of you were probably thinking that when you read this question stem. And of course, you know, primary or sadly metastatic brain tumor like lymphoma, that's another cause too. So what are your first steps in treating this? Well, it depends on the cause, right? So let's go back to our differential, if it's tuberculosis. Well, you're going to be treated for tuberculosis. <laughs> we cover the details of that in the Rapid Bombs podcast. If it's a pyogenic brain abscess, well, typically the treatment's going to be ceftriaxone, metronidazole. That was choice A. And that's why that was incorrect. And then, of course, a brain tumor. Hey, you're talking to oncology, talking chemotherapy, et cetera, admitting to the hospital, blah, blah, blah. Choice D, doxycycline, really had nothing to do with this question. So now I threw in doxycycline because people sometimes think, oh, something we can do with doxycycline. I'm sure it'll treat that because <laughs> everybody uses doxycycline for so many things nowadays, but it doesn't have a role in this condition. So you're really between these two answer choices, B and C, albendazole and dexamethasone. 
Both are correct. Albendazole technically is the antiparasitic agent of choice for teneosolium. However, in this case, we want dexamethasone. Why is that? Well, the first step to treating any type of brain lesion, no matter what the brain lesion is, if it's causing any type of increased ICP, you're giving steroids. The signs and symptoms of elevated intracranial pressure, the obvious things, worsening headache, nausea and vomiting, papal edema, lethargy or somnolence. If any of this happens with any type of brain lesion, whether it be a tumor, a brain abscess, neurocystic sarcosis, tuberculoma, whatever, you're managing cerebral edema and managing increased intracranial pressure with corticosteroid therapy. So that means, again, any obstructive lesions, any cerebral edema, any hydrocephalus, essentially anything that could cause increased intracranial pressure, don't start antiparasitics in this case or antibiotics. Your priority is reducing intracranial pressure. All that other stuff can wait. This isn't that code sepsis thing, right? <laughs> this is a little different. We are preventing worsening cerebral edema, worsening intracranial pressure, which can happen with a parasitic agent. So corticosteroids should always be administered with antiparasitic agent. If they don't have any signs of increased intracranial pressure, go and consult your neurologic friends and you can start albendazole with dexamethasone. It's been found with studies that the use of steroids here during antiparasitic therapy reduces the risk of seizures, reduces the risk of complications from the mass effect. So it's very important to give that medication. And that's really about it with this question here. Covered great differential, covered a strange kind of scary condition that you're going to have nightmares now every time you get barbecue. <laughs> and that's just something you need to think about. So we got to think about the differential of brain masses. Think about a brain abscess, tuberculosis, neurocystis sarcosis, and a lymphoma. I hope that this added a new disease if you haven't heard of it or forgot about it to your differential, especially in patients from endemic areas around the world, that this is a scary, real, common condition in those areas. It's just not talked about. It's not studied that much. We don't have the data, but it's frightening. <laughs> so think about that. Don't blame the pigs. It's not their fault. <laughs> Remember emrapidbombs.supercast.com. EM Rapid Bombs is our main flagship EM Question Bank podcast telling you what you need to know for the boards as well as life. Hopefully Iltohot will be back next time with his carbon fiber <laughs> carbon fiber gear and we will see you again soon. Thanks again. Have a wonderful, wonderful day. Yeah.